We pray, Lord, we pray, Lord, this morning that you will open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you on this day when we're deprived of one hour, but it's good to see you all here. And I thought the singing was very good, Kate, don't you? Uh, without our, we miss our music group, I think we did very well. And I think those, I think we had sort of three Stuart Townend songs. I think they're great. If you notice Stuart Townend songs there, the, the tunes are great, but also the words are very deep and profound and biblical, and they say a lot. In fact, the, the Breath of God uh, songs said almost all my whole talk, so <laughs> I could sit down probably, but since I'm here, I better continue. And um, yes, it's, it, it is page... Uh, uh, on our, in our Bibles, 868, if you want to have a look at it, it's a great, a great passage here, if you're not feeling too squeamish this morning, having seen that picture, thanks to Kate, it's a great, great illustration. So, the Valley of Dry Bones, I think uh, my overall title is The Miraculous Transformation from Death to Life, um, from Despair to Hope. And just before we proceed, I had the fortune or misfortune to have a, a birthday that coincided with Mothering Sunday last Sunday. I don't know if, if you find as you get older, the cards you receive become less respectful, really. Do you find that? Uh, I received one from uh, my longest standing school friend from the age of eight. We met together last week. And it, it's got this rather bizarre picture on it. It says, Researchers in northeastern Bulgaria have discovered the oldest man in the world. And there's a very decrepit man with a long beard sitting in the entrance to his cave. And they researchers with their their sort of boards there. And then you turn over the page and the sting comes later. Apparently, he went to school with you, it says. <laughs> but, but since it was sent by someone who was at school with me, it rebounds on him just as much on me, really. So that was not the most polite card. Moving on, we are allowed one bird note in these talks. And this is actually partly linked to our theme today because uh, I don't know how good your, your Latin is, but there is one bird which has the Latin name Ossifragus. And if you're Latin, you might be able to guess that it's connected with our passage. Ossifragus, any Latin scholars here? It means a bone breaker or a bone crusher. And it's the really, uh, the Latin name really goes back to one of our rarest European vultures, uh, the Lamagai or bearded vulture, which you only find in Europe, probably at the top of the Pyrenees or the Alps. But it's developed the remarkable skill, you may have seen pictures of it on films, it drops animal bones from a high height and it has to practice because it's got to land them on rocks below uh, from some altitude. And, and why does it do that? Is there a good reason? Yes, it wants to get at the marrow inside the bones. And so that's the, it's a very good skill, and the young ones take a while to develop it. But there is a, a story, I don't know if it's more a legend, but the famous Greek playwright Aeschylus, back in the 5th century BC, and he had, according to legend, an unfortunate end. Because one day, it was probably one of these vultures had caught a tortoise. And to open the tortoise, it needs to drop it from a height. And it saw this shiny rock below, but unfortunately it was the head, bald head of Aeschylus. And it dropped this rock, this tortoise, and that was the end of the playwright. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's in the, 
in the legends. I don't, it's not really not a matter of laughter, but sadness, I think, because he was a great playwright, but he came to that end. And, but there was actually one of these birds for the first time came to Britain a few years ago, but it, it, up in the north of England for a while. I don't know how it came here, but it, they're very rare here. But just a final bird note is a plug for our new parish magazine, which you see at the back, well worth reading. Uh, for April, but I don't just commend it for, for myself, but I have, well, I was asked to read, to write a review, a book review of a book of poems by Anne Lewin, which I did refer to earlier. It's, it's, I put a copy of this book at the back. It's a new edition, Watching for the Kingfisher, by Anne Lewin. She's, she's a, she's a, she lives locally. She's a great gift of, of, simple pray, of simple poems and prayers, and it's well worth having a look at. So do look at the review of the book at the end of the service. So that's enough of that advertising. But uh, coming back to today's reading, as we've seen, the prophet Ezekiel shares with us a remarkable and dramatic vision of a valley initially filled with piles of dried bones. And I hope none of you feel too squeamish this morning, because it's pretty vividly portrayed. And just a brief word by way of background, Ezekiel was writing about a period early in the 6th century BC, some 150 years before the events we've been studying in the book of Nehemiah. And rather fittingly, his name means God strengthens, or may God strengthen. And he lived out his prophetic career among the community of exiled Judeans over in Babylon, at the young age of about 25, he was deported to that distant town, city, along with several thousand leading citizens. And he probably never returned home to Jerusalem in his lifetime. And um, we see in this passage a vast landscape of dry bones, suggesting the aftermath of some serious battle. And it could well be the outcome of God's judgment against his people's idolatry. This is recorded earlier in chapter 6 of Ezekiel, a judgment against their wayward lives. And confronted with this scene of death and destruction, the Lord asked Ezekiel uh, a somewhat challenging question, as we've seen there. He says, he asks him, son of man, can these bones live? And I wonder how you would have replied in Ezekiel's shoes, or maybe his sandals, and rather wisely, the prophet puts the ball back in the Lord's court, so to speak. He says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. In other words, over to you, Lord. And however, it's now that Ezekiel receives specific instructions from the Lord to prophesy over these dry, withered, and lifeless bones. And it must have required, as Kate said, a considerable amount of faith on the prophet's part, but the results were indeed miraculous. If I just read again those verses. The Lord said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones, I'll make breath enter you and you will come to life. I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
That rattling sound is quite vivid, isn't it? A certain amount of dry humour there. I hope none of you have heard that in your Pilates classes. It could be a bit, bit frightening, but it probably doesn't happen in, in Milford. But the important thing to note at the end of verse 8 is that although the bones came together, they formed bodies covered in flesh and skin, we're told there was, no, there was still no breath in them. There was still no breath in them. And so we come to the highly significant uh, passage just after this, in verses 9 to 10, where the Lord said to me, says Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And it's noteworthy that in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word ruach has three related meanings. It can mean wind, breath, and spirit. Just like the Greek word pneuma in the New Testament. They have these different meanings which are related. And so when the divine breath, the breath of God's spirit, God's Holy Spirit, enters the lungs, these hitherto lifeless bodies, they immediately come to life and they stand up on their feet. And a less serious vein always reminds one of, of a scene from Toy Story, where all those seemingly lifeless toys, they're lying down in their little box, and then suddenly they spring to life and take on their individual characters. And it's only now, at the conclusion of these dramatic events, and the transformation from death to life, that the Lord provides Ezekiel with some sort of interpretation and explanation of all that he has just witnessed. And if we look at the final section of the passage, 11 onwards, the Lord said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign law says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And I'll put my spirit in you, and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So what we're told here is that these lifeless bones, in fact, represented the people of Israel, thousands of whom, like Ezekiel, were living in exile in distant Babylon. And they're feeling isolated, cut off, depressed, and devoid of any hope. But the Lord promises at some future date to bring them safely back home to Israel. The striking language here even seems to speak of a form of, of resurrection. And most significantly, the final verse sums up the key refrain of the whole chapter. I'll put my spirit in you, and you will live. I'll put my spirit in you, and you will live. And I suppose it remains for us to ask now, what can we learn from this remarkable vision recorded so vividly by the prophet Ezekiel thousands of years ago? What can we, how can we apply all this to our own lives and situation today? Uh, one of the things I value about much of the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, is that very often its teaching is both very clear and simple and straightforward, but also at the same time is often very searching and profound. And, for example, take the promise recorded by Ezekiel, I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. 
at the end of our nine o'clock service, we sang that lovely hymn, Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die. In one sense, it's a very clear, simple prayer, just six words. Breathe on me, breath of God. And yet if we pray such a prayer from the depths of our heart, it can have profound, life-changing implications. So I suggest just we pause just for a moment in silence, and as we breathe fresh air into our lungs, we also ask the breath of God's Holy Spirit to enter our hearts and souls in a new, refreshing way. So just have a moment of silence and pause as we breathe in the Spirit's presence. I fear my medical expertise is very limited, and like Doc Martin, I don't care, I don't cope very well with needles and blood. But in closing, I think it might be helpful to note that Ezekiel's teaching includes not only the lungs, but also the heart. And you may be familiar with some, some well-known verses in the previous chapter, 36, verses 26 and 27, where we have another wonderful promise from the Lord, where he says to his people and to us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is like a kind of, sort of spiritual heart transplant, if you like. And so in, in two chapters of Ezekiel, we're treated almost to the full spiritual CPR, which we won't be asked to spell it, but it's, I think it's cardiopulmonary resuscitation. hope that's right. And so that's really two vital organs in our body, isn't it? The heart and the lungs are here singled out, and they're crucial both to our physical and our spiritual health. So it's, indeed, it's a miraculous transformation. So I'd like to end just with one of my favourite verses, promises from the lips of Jesus to encourage us, especially when we feel in need of spiritual refreshment, both for ourselves and for those we encounter in our daily lives. Maybe familiar words from John chapter 7, verse 37. And there's a change of metaphor here from breath to water, but the same spiritual uh, principles apply. So Jesus' invitation here, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me will find that streams of living water will flow from their innermost being. And those streams of spiritual water are to refresh both us and the needy, thirsty world around us. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you.